Hello and welcome to another mini-sode. Today we're talking about how rural health closed out 2022 and what we're looking forward to in 2023 here at Rural Health Rising. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hotshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. So, J.J., let's talk about the big, exciting news that came right at the end of 2022, which was the fiscal year 23 appropriations bill. It passed both chambers and was signed into law by the president. So that was a nice Christmas present, right? It's a great it was a great pr- Christmas present. But, Rachel, it, it came with a lot of sweat, uh, toil, tears, uh, <laughs> anxieties, uh, because you and I both spent a tremendous amount of time. Uh, advocating for a lot of what uh, we're going to talk about today and what happened as a result of that bill. But it was it was a lot of work. I mean, our associations across Michigan, every state, mm-hmm. uh, as well as NRHA and others, really went to bat for hospitals, in particular rural hospitals right. as well, because it impacts them the most with some of these programs. Mm-hmm. So let me give an overview of what was included in this bill, because not only did a lot of work go into it, but a lot of good came out of it. Correct. Um, So as far as appropriations go, um, it included the creation of the CDC Office of Rural Health. So that's a $5 million appropriation, which includes lots of different things. One of the things that's in there that's um, to me is very exciting is it includes development of a strategic plan for rural health that maps the way forward, both administratively and programmatically. Which is, um, I believe, it's, 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 it's the first I have ever witnessed this in legislation where they've actually focused on a strategic plan for preservation of rural health. Right. So right. I'm not sure, you know, I didn't go back in the Yeah, I don't know history, how that plays out in my with tenure, CDC specifically yeah. and yeah. what that what all that right. will entail right. within their scope. Yeah. Um, but, but that's it's exciting. something, you know, that's, that's great. Um, and then there's a lot of funding support directly for rural hospitals. So $3.4 billion for the Rural Community Facilities Program and $2 million for Rural Hospital Technical Assistance Program. That's through the USDA uh, Rural Development um, $64 million for Medicare Rural Hospital Flexibility Grants Program. That's an increase in $2 million over the funding levels uh, previously. Mm-hmm. And part of that is $21 million, included in that 64 is $21 million for the Small Rural Hospital Improvement Grant Program um, and $5 million to continue funding Rural Emergency Hospital, um, their TA program. Um, and then also there's some continuation of core rural health care programs like Twelve and a half million for the state offices of rural health. That's you know the same as before. They play a um, critical role. They really do, Rachel. They in really a do. A lot of the work that you know that happens here in Michigan, right, in collaboration with MHA, is also the office of rural health, right, right. And we have a great relationship with mm-hmm. them. But they mm-hmm. they actually administer the ship funding, right, which is the pass through of funding that we get for special projects, right, right. Which is I believe that. Um, that I mentioned you before. You did. Yeah, you the, said the Small Rural Hospital yeah. Improvement Grants. Yes, that yep. one. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so, yeah, so that is uh, is in there for our state offices of rural health. We love them. We do. $145 million for our corp, which is the Rural Communities Opioids Response Program. That's a $10 million increase, yeah. so that's Learning good. a lot about that right now. And that's, yeah. uh, it's, it, you know, the, the funding that had been set in place for addressing the opioid crisis in America um, was a very small amount initially, and mm-hmm. this has been several years ago. 
and it was highly competitive. But now, as the awareness is in our communities across this country, uh, programs like this are very effective because, you know, when we transition, uh, the opioid industry, you know, has to now you have to sign a contract with your physician if you're on opioids, et cetera. Mm -hmm. A lot of those patients were left behind is what we call it. And these patients deny resources. Mm -hmm. How do you give up something that you've been on for 15 or 20 years? So creating programs like this that helps them and step therapies and some other things, Mm -hmm. very effective. Right. It takes much more of a medical approach than a a punitive or criminal approach that we see a lot with something like this with a substance use issue. Um, And then 12 and a half million for the rural residency development program. That's something we're actually looking at um, here at Hillsdale Hospital. We know the importance of um, not just recruiting uh, providers, physicians in particular, to rural communities, but bringing them up in rural communities yes. um, is is a great opportunity. That's a $2 million increase for that program. $125 million for the National Health Service Corps. That's a $3 million increase. And then $8 million for our moms, which is the Rural Maternity and Obstetrics Management Strategies Program um, at HRSA. And that is a $2 million increase. Yeah. And then there were some non-appropriation um, provisions as well. So one that we advocated for directly was the pay-go sequester. Yeah. That was so important. Um, That is now deferred. It was deferred until January 2023, Mm -hmm. but now it's deferred till January 2025. And that would have been a disastrous additional cut to Medicare reimbursement, which truly would have been the nail in the coffin for a lot of rural hospitals right now. Well, you know, and it's even looking ahead, uh, 25 is around the corner. Right. Uh, This still has to be addressed. Yes. Because uh, this will have a devastating impact on rural hospitals. Uh, in in terms of what the number means for Hillsdale and rural hospitals like ours, it's a difference of actually making uh, an operational profit right. um, or breaking even and having substantial losses. Now, when you have substantial losses, the detriment there is your hospital cannot sustain that long time, Rachel. Exactly. And, and therefore, you see closure. So would a program like uh, sequestration impact a closure of a rural hospital? Absolutely. Which is... We have to tackle this in 25, but before 25, we have to spend a lot of time, and we'll talk about that in a minute, advocating for this program starting now. Right, right. And with that, too, this is not, I want to clarify, this PAYGO sequester, this is not a rollback of the 2% sequestration that we already have. This would have been an additional 4%. Absolutely. So when we say disastrous, we mean Disastrous. Well, when you're on a zero margin anyway, you right. take away the, the four initial to 6%. sequestration was hard enough, yeah. but to add to that was totally untenable. Absolutely. So, um, excited to see that, but we know there's work ahead. Um, telehealth, this was another thing that we advocated yeah. for directly when we were in Washington, D.C. in November, um, is the current telehealth flexibilities. Those are now authorized through December 31st of 2024, including what we were very specific about audio only. We know in rural health that telehealth (laughs) does not always mean a video visit on a smartphone because we have people, including some of our own employees, even some of our own managers, that do not have great internet service at home and cannot actually have a call like that. But they have a landline that they can use. Even some that truly they couldn't even do audio only on a cell phone because of the type of cell phone signal um, that they have available to them that they would be doing it on a landline. So making that available um, is critical. And it's a big part, I think, in, um, you know, ensuring health equity for rural Americans. It's the future. Yep. It truly is. Um, This is another one that we have been very focused on, constantly uh, checking in with with Josh at uh, the National Rural Health Association, like, hey, any updates on the LVH? Um, The low volume hospital and Medicare 
independent hospital designations have both been extended through September 2024. Um, we were looking at, I can't remember what the number was for us, but it was, I believe it was well over $800,000. Um, no, it was. That that would have been an impact for us if that was not extended. Um, so that is one that also it's extended now through 2024, but our fight is really to get that codified into law um, that that will stay. And there have been bills presented before um, in that regard, but we need to work to you know push those forward. Um, also, add-on payments in several areas have been extended for two years. So ground ambulance, physician, home health, rural add-on payments. And then there are some mental health provisions. So coverage of marriage and family therapists and mental health counselors under Medicare. Mm-hmm. Um, that is huge to be mm-hmm. able to have that covered um, for Medicare. That is just, it's, it's one of those issues that when we talk about mental health, we're not just talking about inpatient behavioral health. We're not just talking about substance use disorder treatment. Um, there's a lot more that goes into that and nice. it needs to be addressed. And this uh, works to do Agreed. some of that. Um, also, again, talking about residency, 200 new residency slots are going to be coming out in fiscal year 26 for psychiatry or psychiatry Much subspecialties. Needed. Much needed. Much needed. And of those, a minimum of 10% have to go toward rural hospitals. Which is incredible. Um, so that's awesome. Hopefully we yeah. can get one of those uh, yeah. in that 10%. Well, absolutely. Um, and then lastly, the inclusion of a specific act called Restoring Hope for Mental Health and Wellbeing. Huge. That passed the House of Representatives earlier in 2022. Um, it's got some grant and funding opportunities related to mental health and also yeah. substance use disorder treatment. So um, what a way to to wrap up 2022, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, look at the majority of these measures and it's impacting the health and wellness of our rural communities. And in particular, I say rural because that's what you and I deal with every day. Mm-hmm. Now, it impacts all of the communities. But when we look at rural, the opportunity for us not to have the sequestration in place uh, means that we can continue to operate. Right. Because if you shed right. 6% out of our bottom line, those are drastic cuts. Those mm-hmm. are services. Those are people. Right. There, It's not right. less paper clips and, you know, not buying right. the car. And it's none of those things. We don't have 4% of fat no. to trim. There is no fat. There is no fat. And we're finding that in rural health right now, Rachel, right. is that uh, around this country, the significant concern is how long can rural hospitals sustain the losses month after month. And we have known for a fact just in the last quarter of even big systems, right. like the financial losses, all one has to do, our listener today, go to uh, Becker's Healthcare, go to any any. Google search engine mm-hmm. and type in hospital losses in 2022. Yeah. And you would see without the government supplements, without all of the money that was given for COVID relief funds, is that hospitals in the new age uh, that's post pandemic mm-hmm. um, are struggling. Right. And the volumes didn't return. The cost of labor skyrocketed. Right. And that went across the spectrum and it skyrocketed because contractors are wanting more money. Employees are wanting more money. Sign on bonuses, you name it. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, in our industry, you and me, we in rural health do not have negotiating power. Right. We've said that many times on this program. Right. This is the disadvantage of rural. Uh, is that I can't go to Blue Cross Blue Shield and Medicaid and say, you're going to pay me more because I have to pay these people more. Right. It's not the way it works. We don't it's have the grocery elasticity store. No. in healthcare. No. You know, I went to the grocery store the other day and I paid a lot more money for a lot of products that I looked at my wife because I had not been shopping in a while and said, oh my goodness. Yep. And the reason for that is because obviously as their costs go up for employees and their costs goes up for supply chain, mm-hmm. they can transfer that cost to the consumer. Right. We cannot. We can't do that. We do not even have an option to do that. And not only that, 
the way that we're paid in particular by Medicare and Medicaid today, right now, is based on, I believe, 2016 cost reporting. It is. So we're not even being compensated for any inflation that happened before, you know, 2020, 2021, and these record high inflation rates that we're seeing now for supplies and materials and everything else. Is what we're looking at without an adjustment. And even when the adjustments are going to be made, Rachel, they're so insignificant. And I'm not being ungrateful. Right. But they don't match inflation. They don't match the cost of labor. They don't match any of that. Right. And so, you know, back to the point of the fact is that we have rural hospitals that are struggling in America right now Mm -hmm. and that are with very little cash on hand who are faced with high labor costs. Recruitment costs, supply chain costs. And and think about that in our industry. You know, when the cost of shipping the milk to the grocery store increases, the gallon of milk goes to $4 a gallon. Right. When the cost of shipping an instrument for a knee or a hip comes to the hospital and that's an increased cost, it doesn't go to the consumer. It doesn't get paid for by by the insurance company. We have to absorb that. Right. And so this is the difficulty that we face in our industry right now. And everybody's facing it. Right. But right. but these pieces of legislation, these continuation bills, um, both pieces are very important. So new legislation that, you know, restores and gives additional money. That's great. But the continuation of a lot of these services that we count on. Mm-hmm. Some of them even are federal pass throughs to the state. Right. So when you think about disproportionate share. It's a huge piece for us. Right. When you think about um, OB stabilization funds that come from the state of Michigan through a pass-through, mm-hmm. when you think about ship funding, these are all hundreds of thousands leading to millions of dollars uh, that help. Again, it's not additional. It's just right. sustaining where we were historically over the last few years. Right. So I want to talk about some of that um, and get into our focus for 2023. But before we do, we would be remiss if we did not give a shout out to Carrie and Josh at the National Rural Health Association and their team. Oh, absolutely. And all of the work that they have done. Uh, both of them have been on our podcast as they well have. to talk about some of these issues. So you Incredibly can always smart, flip back. Talented and, uh, people. Yeah, they, they are awesome. They keep us informed and up yeah. to date. We get emails from them all the time all the and time. their team members. Um, and then also Brian, Brian Peters, Peters and yeah. Laura Apple at the yeah. Michigan Health and Hospital Association and their teams who work tirelessly to advocate for rural health. They do. They were in D.C. shortly before we were, I believe, um, doing some advocacy as and well after. on the Hill and after. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, so they were directly involved yeah. in making sure some of this stuff happened. So we just want to give a shout out to those folks Absolutely. and their teams um, who were a part of making this happen and getting that bill across the finish line with all of those yeah. provisions. So, You've kind of hinted at some of this already, JJ, but what is our focus in 2023? What are we going to yeah. be looking at? What are we going to be talking about on Real Health Rising? A lot, um, but it's all centered on... <laughs> Who, me? Yeah. Oh, you mean like us. the word a yeah, lot. We, a I lot, see. I a see. lot, not Rachel a lot. But, you know, our advocacy is going to continue to focus on how do you sustain rural healthcare mm-hmm. in America? And, and so we'll get there through many ways. But first and foremost is, you know, there were seven kids in our family. And what I realized with my parents is the loudest one always gets the attention. Mm-hmm. And so I was the last. I was a quiet, meek, you know, they, they forgot about me. It's okay. I'm, I'm over it now. But, but <laughs> you can tell but he's over it's, it. it's the, Not a classic it's the loud, child. yeah, exactly. It's the loudest that usually gets attention. And what we had to realize, Rachel, and that which we did not do here prior to your arrival and my arrival is we didn't advocate in Lansing and Washington. We just didn't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, we were counting on other people to do that or just hoping that we would get something. One thing we've done, I feel remarkably well, is tell our story and advocate 
for mm-hmm. Hillsdale, which is advocating for rural health. So, right. you know, as we look at our focus in the next year, um, I think our focus is helping other rural hospitals. And the way we do that is advance ourselves and them mm-hmm. is advocacy of rural health in general. Now, right. uh, what does that look like? Well, what we know is that even through this this opportunity that we have to go to the American people and to share our story uh, mm-hmm. through, you know, the Rural Health Rising is to tell our unique stories. Right. When we bring a speaker on that talks about, you know, the challenges of a hospitalist program uh, in rural America, that's real. Right. You know, how do you recruit and sustain physicians right. in a rural community? Right. Um, and we've had a, a numerous Or like episodes. when we had John Gadwood on from our CRNA, CRNA. team. Yeah. To talk about, you know, those kinds of challenges. Absolutely. And and to tell that story. Now, I'm telling that story. I'm on a MHA panel uh, in a few weeks. Yes. Uh, and I'm going to be telling the the story of CRNAs. And uh, so what, what that work is, it's not just, you know, isolated to Rural Health Rising or to one avenue. We're everywhere, man. Right. I mean, we have to be everywhere. And so we're in Lansing which we have been, mm-hmm. you and I took a, mm-hmm. a, a ride there and, and have spent a lot of time on the phone. And otherwise, we flew to Washington recently mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we're going to fly again next year. We're going to be advocating for rural health. Um, it's going to become a regular thing. And I, I think what is very important is what is facing rural hospitals, what's facing all hospitals is is the things that we just shared about the cost structure, the, the supply chain. Um, that's not going away, Rachel. Right. We know it's only going to be impacted, but the reimbursements are not coming proportionate to the rise of these costs. Right. And as a result of that, you have losses. And mm-hmm. losses over time cannot be sustained, right. which means your hospital's closed. Now, what happens when your rural hospital closes? Well, the impact and devastation on your rural economy is your economies are gone in those communities. Right. They are. Right. I mean, I'm not being dramatic, right? But when oh, we yeah. are the largest, or second largest, or third largest employer in rural America, mm-hmm. um, and you take away the generated revenue that the employees are purchasing cars, and the organizations purchasing cars, and the organizations buying the groceries, you separate that away, and and it gets outsourced to other communities through mergers or acquisitions. What happens is you end up with a depressed economy, right. loss of jobs, and many more payers are, are many more patients are switching to government payers, which is Medicaid, Medicaid. Right. Can't sustain that. Right. And, you know, this is, in a lot of ways, I see this as kind of a battle for the soul of rural America. Because without health care, to your point, in rural America, it will cease to exist as we know it today. Oh, absolutely. And so much of our nation's ability to function depends on Rural America and yeah. rural Americans, Absolutely. agriculture in particular. That's, you know, an easy Absolutely. example. It is. Um, but this is something that affects everyone, not just people who live or work in rural communities. Um, and I think it's going to be interesting, too. We'll probably be talking more and more about everyone now in healthcare is starting to understand <laughs> the financial Finally. pressures that we have been facing. Finally. And I think I've probably said on this podcast before, part of me is like, Welcome to the club, everybody. Yeah. And the other part of me is like, wouldn't it be nice to be able to lose hundreds of millions of dollars and, and still, still keep your door o- doors open? Yeah, yeah. What a what a luxury. And not even really be impacted by it. Right. Um, so, you know, I think it's going to be, there's going to be a bit of a reckoning between the way healthcare is being paid currently. There has to be. And what the future models are going to be because... For one, a lot of the things that are often touted as, well, here are some fixes. They're not enough. They're no. never enough. Um, expanding Medicaid 
has kept hospitals from closing, but it hasn't given them financial stability. No, absolutely right? not. Because it's still a low reimbursement absolutely. rate. Absolutely. Um, you know, so so strategies like that, there's a lot of different things. That's just one example. Don't well, necessarily always work because we still don't have, as the economy fluctuates, we don't have any stable footing because we don't have, we, we are not able to operate as the free market operates. No. And so we, but at the same time, expected. our expenses are based yeah. on the free market. Yes, they are. And expected to meet those right. expenses. Right, right. So it's just, just it doesn't, well, we it's, a, it's a losing battle. It is. It so is something has to change, right? It does. It does. And I think if you were to look at what is our primary focus in 23, that's going to be maybe even a little more different than what we experienced in 22. It's really getting, um, you know, you, you, you hear this word crowdfunding, right? Right. And that's where everybody pitches in and you, you get some money and, and you get a project right, in, right? right? Crowdfunding. Think about, you know, crowd advocacy. We're just going to call it that, okay? That we get all of these rural hospitals, and rural makes up our United States of America. Yeah, And rural, you know, are sending congressional leaders to Washington. Is really to band together in in a in a rule advocacy like we've never seen before. I think it's going to require right. that it means we have right. to stop our our divisions. We have to stop our you know the the idea that we are going to put that person out of business or this person out of business. And I think our primary focus should be to come together for crowd advocacy for stopping mergers and acquisitions. Number yes. one, yes, Rachel, I'm going to call it. Yep, they, they're dangerous. They are. They do not lead to better health outcomes. No, they lead to higher cost and communities suffer. Right. Period. And there are a very small handful of people who get very wealthy, wealthy. in the process. It's called the brokers who sell the hospital to the other hospital and the, the CEOs big, who get a parachute. executives who get the parachute, the yeah. golden parachute. It's wrong. Yeah. So we need to advocate for these MAs to either be strictly monitored like they were supposed to have been. Right. Uh, and, and under the eye of the federal government, uh, the Department of Justice, so that we can ensure that there's no violation of the Sherman Antitrust Act, et cetera. But stopping mergers and acquisitions, I think, should be a primary focus. Number two, mm-hmm. um, at the state level, advocacy for all the ARPA and other funds that came through. You have a lot of states that are still sitting on this money. Oh, yeah. And then you have Billions the state of dollars. be with a billion, especially in Michigan. Right. I heard the other day when we were speaking to a senator that there was four to five billion. I thought it was six. Six billion, something crazy, still sitting yeah. in we Michigan. We can't even keep coffers. track of it. It's so many billions. Be with a, a billion with a B, folks. Right, exactly. So, in American dollars. <laughs> and we're being told that this is happening across the country. Now think about this. Not only do they allocate that money to the state, the state then allocates that money to the locals. The locals are sitting on our own county here, mm-hmm. millions of dollars, unbudgeted, unrestricted funds that they have not assigned anywhere. And so while all of these devastations are occurring, we need to encourage no M&As, utilization of those ARPA funds for the available funds that are available, um, and then some kind of provisions and limits on travelers, Rachel. Yes, this is one that, as you know, always gets me fired up. Um, but And there has been a, a bill proposed in Michigan. I haven't looked lately to see um, what the, you know, who's might be bringing that same thing forward um in the in the in this new um legislature but the cost of contract labor and travelers not just travelers it's also contract labor it is we've contract seen labor. that with contract labor we have certain um disciplines or types of professions within our hospital and within rural hospitals in general that are typically and almost always contracted through a group of some kind um and we are getting hit up. You are getting hit up yeah. for for more money um, from these folks as well. So those increases in costs are significant. And 
for the travelers in particular, they serve a need that is very specific in healthcare related to a when we are in a pinch and we don't have a staff member to care for a patient or to meet our current volumes. We have to have somebody until we get a full-time hire in that can be trained because it's also the training process that takes a long time. You don't get a, yeah, it's not a week of training um, to be oriented in a hospital as a nurse, for example. So that work is very important, but it's being, it's been used as a way to just charge a lot more for hospitals, uh, make a lot more money. And it is a huge contributor to the financial losses yes. that hospitals are sustaining right now. And it also is a huge contributor, I believe, to the morale of healthcare workers who are committed to a community, committed to a hospital, committed to a, a group of patients that yeah. often are their neighbors and their family members and their friends right. who are making a third yeah. of the nurse working next to them yeah. who just flew in from out of town Absolutely. to fill in for several weeks. And it's demoralizing. It and it's inappropriate and Agreed. it is unethical and I think it should be illegal. It's time to stop. So it's time I would to love stop. to see something like and, that change. And I am the proponent uh, to say that keep government out as far as you can. But this is a case where government has to get involved right. for regulation. Right. It is. Whether we like it or not, they have to get involved right. because this cannot be sustained in our economy today. Right. And the ultimate loser becomes the taxpayer at some point at because some it drives up the cost of health care. That's right. Overall, and that slowly right. now it might take seven years for yeah. us to recoup that with yeah. the way the pricing works. Um, but eventually, yeah. it does you know damage damage the taxpayer ultimately. So the government has a responsibility as well Agreed. in that regard. Yep. Well, the last item, of course, I think is going to be a focus for us. That I know it's going to be a focus for us. That I, that I really feel that other. Uh, small rural hospitals need to do a better job of uh, because because we haven't done a good well, job no, of it not. until now. It's right? not been in our wheelhouse. Um, is earmarks, grants, mm-hmm. opportunities for funding that would help offset equipment purchases? You know, when you think about when we have cash on hand, let's just say I've got a hundred days, mm-hmm. um, and that hundred days equals thirty-five million dollars. That's what we have, and and that's the ba- that's the savings account. Um, but you have to purchase five or 10 pieces of equipment next year in order to, A, stay relevant in the market. Right. Number two, it's end of life, whatever it is. But, you know, an uh, MRI, millions of dollars. Right. CT, millions of dollars. We're not we're not talking about cheap equipment. Right. And so that eats your cash on hand. Then you you get below those 100 days. Then you what we call trip a, a debt covenant, which means the government says, um, oh, the bondholders? No, you can't go below 100 days. Well, we had to buy that piece of equipment. Well, now you're in default. And so all right. of these things happen. And in order to help keep that money in the quote unquote savings account, um, you're going to have to, hospitals are going to have to get earmarks and grant funding for projects that they would normally be funding out of their general fund. Because the general fund is being eaten alive from paying these travelers and paying the right. contractors and the increase of cost from the supply chain. So in order to afford the equipment and to provide state-of-the-art equipment, you're going to have to see more earmarks and grant mm-hmm. funding that the federal government and state governments are going to have to give. They're right. going to have to do it. Right. And if you don't like the term earmark, you can call it congressionally directed That's spending. Fine. That's fine. Um, but my perspective on that as well, I know there are some people who have, you know, political or ethical or moral objections to earmarks, but it's going to someone's community. It sure is. So it's our job to get whatever right. we can get here to our community. And I will fight every inch of the way. Uh, in 2023 to ensure that our hospital, 
in Hillsdale County is viable for another hundred years. But my commitment and yours, Rachel, I know is, Mm -hmm. is we are going to advocate for rural health in America. Yes. And that is going to be our high focus next year. And we have to worry about back home making sure our margin is right here. But but ultimately, it's going to be a very busy year. I'm excited. I'm excited, I too. there's some great there's things be that are happening. Of, you um, know, it's, it, the stakes are high and the are. opportunity is powerful. It's powerful. It is. Thank you for joining us for today's mini-sode. If you have a topic or issue you want us to cover on a future mini-sode, shoot us an email at marketing at hillsdalehospital.com. You can also find Hillsdale Hospital on Facebook and Instagram. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. You can also find us now on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO, JJ. Rachel's at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow our podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network, hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit ruralhealthrising.com. 